The U.S. House of Representatives and the Senate have both passed the 2024 National Defense Authorization Act. The act authorizes 800, $886.3 billion U.S. dollars for America's defense budget, the largest figure ever. It also includes provisions for expanding U.S. cooperation with Taiwan on military affairs. Taiwan's Ministry of National Defense has thanked the U.S. for the move, and experts say the bill symbolizes the bipartisan U.S. commitment to peace and stability in the, in ta the Taiwan Strait. Let's hear from the Defense Ministry. The Ministry of National Defense would like to express its sincere gratitude. On our side, we will continue to carry out work for building up our army and enhancing our training based on our need to combat enemy threats and perform other defense operations. It shows that in the US, ruling and opposition parties, as well as the executive and legislative branches, are all committed to ensuring the security of the Taiwan Strait. Besides getting assistance from allies, Taiwan must show that it is determined and willing to defend itself. The act, which is almost 3,100 pages long, directs the U.S. Department of Defense to establish a comprehensive training program for Taiwan's military, set an asymmetric warfare strategy for Taiwan, and cooperate with Taiwan on defensive cybersecurity issues. It also requires the Pentagon to report with the U.S. Congress every six months in the coming four years on matters related to arms sales and handovers to Taiwan. The act is now pending signing by U.S. President Joe Biden to become law. In the lead-up to Election Day, candidates are not just hitting the streets, but also promoting their platforms through many different channels. DPP presidential candidate Lai Ching-te on Friday released a new campaign song recorded fully in Hakka. The upbeat tempo was no problem for Lai, who pronounced every syllable like a true native speaker of Hakka in all five of its dialects. Song producer Blair Coe said it was a pleasure working with Lai in the studio as he took the matter very seriously. DPP presidential candidate Lai Ching-te puts on a headset at a recording studio. Today, he is a singer singing in Hakka. This is the latest campaign song released by his office, titled Hakka Vugha. Lai is the lead singer from beginning to end, pronouncing words in all five main Hakka dialects with ease. The song producers say that the recording session wrapped up in just two hours. He took the matter very seriously. Besides that, he is someone who likes to have everything planned out. He arranged an extra session to go through the song with the teacher. The producer would say that the take he'd done was good, but he'd say he'd want to give it another go. The lyrics of Hakka Vugha tell the story of Taiwan's Hakka settlers, the community's growth on the island, and their feelings about the future. The song is the first ever to be recorded fully in Hakka by a presidential candidate. Lai Qingde often visits Hakka villages. He tries to use Hakka in speeches. He learnt the language to greet people. There have been many times in which he has expressed himself fully in Hakka. He feels that by singing a song fully in Hakka, he can show everyone how committed he is to Hakka culture. Lai has been polishing his Hakka language skills for a long time to form a connection with locals through a common language. Now the campaign song shows his support for Hakka culture.
With less than 30 days until Election Day, KMT Vice Chair Andrew Xia has traveled across the strait to visit China-based business people from Taiwan. This has aroused the suspicions of DPP politicians who questioned if Xiao was soliciting money or connections with Beijing officials, all of which would help the KMT's campaign. This comes as Taiwan's restrictions on the import of more than 2,000 products from China on Friday were determined by the Beijing Ministry of Commerce to be trade barriers. The DPP accused Beijing of economic coercion to boost the KMT's election chances, but how China will act on the ruling if it does anything, remains to be seen. KMT Vice Chair Andrew Shah attended the Cross-Strait Forum in China in June to much media fanfare, and in August he met with Sung Tao, the director of the PRC's Taiwan Affairs Office. Now Shah's leading a delegation to China again. DPP politicians complained that Shah had visited China four or five times this year. And with less than 30 days away from the polls, there have been multiple reports of Chinese interference in the elections. The DPP says that at such a sensitive moment, how can anyone believe Shah's justification that he cares about Taiwanese business people in China? China this election cycle has continually raised the bar for ways of inappropriately meddling in Taiwan. Andrew Xiang must make it clear, what exactly are you going to do on this trip? And who are you going to meet with? Are you going to ask for reinforcements? Are you going there to move money or people? We all know that every China-based Taiwanese Business People's Association or our Taiwanese compatriots on the mainland hold many activities at the end of the year. Last year it was like this, as was the year before last. So what we want to say is that they are our own compatriots and our own business people. So we'll go and care about them, cheer them on, or resolve their problems. These are all good things. We never expected that the DPP would have only one sentence for this. If you don't smear people red, then you won't be elected. Eric Chu denies the DPP's claims, but as it happens, just as Shah's in China, China's Ministry of Commerce said in a statement on Friday that an investigation into Taiwan's restrictions on the import of more than 2,000 products from China have been determined to be trade barriers and violate the relevant provisions of ECFA. It said the relevant regulations will be studied and corresponding measures will be adopted. It's clear that China wants to teach the DPP government a lesson. What's just been said is China's unilateral argument. Whether it's based on the statements of our economic and trade offices in Taiwan or those of the WTO, it's not valid. So I think this is another way involving the use of so-called trade barriers to intimidate Taiwan's economically-minded voters. If you don't listen to me and cast your vote for the gangster party, then perhaps this time it will influence your economic development. This is the necessity for Andrew Xia to go to China. Each time he goes, he will gain something. These kinds of gains are detrimental to Taiwan and beneficial for the KMT. DPP politicians have made biting remarks about the KMT in China working in unison. From Andrew Xia's visit to China to Beijing's ruling on Taiwanese trade barriers, voters can make their own judgments about the DPP, KMT and China. A California company is converting jet fuel aircraft to run on hydrogen to reduce emissions that harm the environment. 
VOA's Jenya Dulo looks at these experimental planes that are already in the air. Pilot Alex Kroll is ready for takeoff at the Mojave Air and Space Port. Mojave Tower, Lightning One, ready for hydrogen powertrain start. California-based Universal Hydrogen is converting jet fuel aircraft to run on hydrogen. Company president Mark Cousin says that will cut carbon emissions in aviation as hydrogen produces just heat and water. And that water just comes out through uh, an exhaust here and it just, uh, just comes out behind the, uh, behind the aircraft as, um, as water vapor. We leave a trail of water behind rather than a trail of um, CO2 and nitrous oxide and soot and everything else that comes out the back of a, a gas turbine. Instead of burning hydrogen in a gas turbine like jet fuel, this technology reacts hydrogen with air in a fuel cell to drive an electric motor. Removing plane seats to make room for the hydrogen cells reduces the number of passengers it can carry, and the electric powertrain is heavier than the gas turbine it replaces. But engineer Loris Gleiner says that is offset by the hydrogen's greater efficiency. For this size of aircraft, we think that this way is better because the hydrogen fuel cell powertrain is about twice as efficient as the Pratt Whitney turboprop, so it means that we can you know, travel twice as far for the same quantity of hydrogen. The flight is also much quieter. Without a turbine, the only noise comes out from spinning propeller. The company is working toward having hydrogen aircraft in commercial service by 2026, flying routes up to three hours long. Jenya Dulo, VOA News, Mojave, California. Many Taipei residents use the MRT every day, and most of us who live in Taiwan have ridden it once or twice. But did you know about the fare loan service? Passengers who accidentally leave their money at home can borrow the fare for their journey from the company. The service recently gained attention after a Japanese author raved about it on social media. While passengers need to show proof of their identity to get the loan and return the money within 10 days, it's still an exceptionally user-friendly policy. Next time you're in a rush and realize you've forgotten your wallet, don't forget the MRT is there for you. A Japanese author shared online about the experience of their friend in Taiwan. When the friend realized they had left their purse and easy card at home, they went to the help desk at the MRT station and, after simply confirming their identity and filling in a form, station staff loaned them the money for an MRT journey. When you get such a loan, you can give it back at any MRT station within 10 days. The post attracted a storm of comments. Many pointed out that TRA has the same policy. Others said they had availed themselves of the extremely valuable service a few times in high school. I didn't know that. It's the first time I've heard of it. Taipei MRT doesn't just offer toilets, power charging stations and free Wi-Fi in stations. They'll even loan you the money for a ride. But the service is not widely advertised. Many people are shocked to hear about it. Others are full of praise for how user-friendly the system is. Some people might be coming from Taoyuan or from even further afield, and it might be really convenient for them. The MRT is relied upon every day by both commuters and travellers. While the loan service is useful, passengers are reminded that they will need to provide their ID card or similar digital proof of their identity and arrange to return the fare within the time limit. 
Since the end of COVID restrictions, Taiwan's government has been working hard to attract travelers from all over the world. And the efforts have borne fruit. Taiwan received its six millionth foreign arrival of the year earlier than expected on Friday. It was the father of a family traveling in from Singapore who was visiting Taiwan for the fourth time. The touring family says that this time around, they plan to go to Alishan and Taroka Gorge. To celebrate the arrival, the government gifted the family four return airline tickets and more than 100,000 NT in souvenirs. Vice Premier Zheng Wenzhan personally presents four round-trip air tickets to Taiwan's six millionth arrival this year, the father of a family traveling from Singapore. The group was presented with more than 100,000 NT in souvenirs, and each member was given a Taiwan pass to travel all over the nation. This time we'll go to Alishan and Taroko Gorge. Last time we came, we went to Qingjing Farm. It was very beautiful. I really want to eat oyster vermicelli. The Singaporean family says they are in love with Taiwanese cuisine. This is the fourth time in Taiwan and still can't get enough of it. They were met with a personal reception from many transport ministry officials. This year, Taiwan saw 1.14 million arrivals from Hong Kong and Macau, which are Taiwan's largest source of tourists. The next biggest group was travelers from Japan with 850,000 arrivals. South Korea came in third place with 690,000 arrivals. With the pandemic now a thing of the past, Taiwan aims to hit more than 10 million arrivals next year. This that I'm holding is the Taiwan Pass, which makes travel more convenient for tourists, especially independent travelers. It can be used to ride the MRT, trains and the high-speed rail. Each of the five international airports in Taiwan will be giving away 200 of these to travellers. Cruise ships are also very important. The Mainland Affairs Council and the Ministry of Transportation and Communications are leading negotiations. We hope to have everything ready before the Lunar New Year holiday. Next year in March, group tours will be allowed to go to China, and we hope the group tours from both sides of the strait can resume. A ban on Taiwanese group tours going to China is expected to be lifted next March, following the Lunar New Year festival. Government agencies continue to make efforts to resume cross-strait tour group travel even earlier. The government is also doing its utmost to get Taiwan to host an APEC working group meeting next year, so that even more people can get to experience the beauty of Taiwan. Taipei City has removed a long-standing restriction on the height of buildings around Sun Yat-sen Memorial Hall. For 20 years, the maximum height of buildings was capped at 60 meters. The restriction gave rise to protests from residents who say that the limit would make urban renewal projects unprofitable for developers. Starting January 1st, all height restrictions will be lifted. That's except for the north side of the Memorial Hall, where building height is determined by aviation regulations. The vicinity of Sun Yat-sen Memorial Hall in Taipei has long had a building height limit of 60 meters, meaning that besides the Taipei Dome, no tall buildings have been built in the area. Critics of the height limit say the policy posed an obstacle to urban renewal, giving rise to protests from local residents. 
Having water leaks at home is the norm. Our building itself is only 12 floors tall, and the height limit is 60 metres. If we want to rebuild with a developer, there'll be no profit in it for them. If we turn a 12-storey building into a 15-storey building, that's only three extra floors. The developers say they'd go ahead with it, but with much smaller floor areas for each unit. Residents in the area have frequently engaged with the government to remove the height limit. And finally on Thursday, Taipei's Urban Planning Commission voted unanimously to lift the cap. Buildings along Zhongxiao East Road will still be subject to a height limit of 95.49 metres due to the proximity to Songshan Airport. But no special restrictions will limit building height on any of the other three roads encircling the Memorial Hall. On those three sides, maximum height will be determined by regulations in the Building Act. The height cap will be officially lifted starting January 1st, 2024. The rate of urban renewal will become faster, and willingness to renew buildings a second time will grow. In the future, the area will change to become a great environment for commerce, study and residents. Six years after the completion of Sun Yat-sen Memorial Hall in 1972, the city government set a maximum building height of 35 metres on all four sides of the grounds. The policy was later revised in 2004 to raise the height cap to 60 metres. Now, 20 years after that, the limit is getting lifted altogether. The height limit had been set to preserve the skyline, but that actually made it less interesting to look at. They did some visual simulations and dynamic simulations, and in the end the Commission agreed to relax the rules. Taipei's Department of Urban Development says that although the height cap will be removed, it will also introduce some new rules. The buildings on both sides of the Memorial Hall will only be allowed to use subdued colours on their facades. And on the east side, new buildings will have to be set four metres back so as to not disturb the views. The city government says the new rules will usher in major improvements to living quality and to the urban landscape of the area. Today, we take you to a cafe that combines coffee and science. The concept is inspired by Charles Darwin's voyage on the HMS Beagle. Visitors can brew their own one-of-a-kind coffees in DIY workshops. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang takes us in for a look. I start by brewing coffee. Then I add sugar, spice, and other ingredients into my beaker, stir, and give it a taste. This cafe harnesses the power of science. Instruments such as beakers and funnels are on hand for people to use in coffee experiments. Every cup of coffee is a unique work of art. We specialize in using science to create some interesting concoctions. We drink coffee very often. We wanted to combine coffee with science to create more possibilities. Otherwise, the coffee everyone drinks is just pure coffee. We think there should be more variation. I started to add in experiments. Even if you've tried various coffees from all over the world, you can still drink a one-of-a-kind coffee here. In this cold brew, one secret ingredient is ma gao, a mountain peppercorn used by several of Taiwan's indigenous tribes. 
We experiment with cold brew, ice drip coffee, or hand brew. We add special elements. For example, we will add magao into our cold brew coffee. Magao is an indigenous peppercorn. After adding magao, the coffee will have a rich flavor that everyone must try. The store holds DIY workshops and encourages everyone to have fun and experiment. We also use laboratory equipment to form an ice dripping apparatus and then test at the best speed, formula, and time to arrive at the best taste. In the beginning, we conducted a lot of experiments here by using brewing equipment for coffee testing. We welcome everyone to come here directly to enjoy the final result or come here to do your own testing. You can add a lot of weird things to your coffee. If you think it tastes good, stick with this proportion and drink it. We think coffee is a very personal thing, and we hope you can do some bold experiments here. Has anyone added this before? Would it taste better if you added black pepper? The store is adorned with plants and inspired by Charles Darwin's Buccal Voyage. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang and Liu Ruqi in Taipei. We've seen some warm weather in many parts of Taiwan despite it already being mid-December. But the fair weather is soon coming to an end. The strongest cold air front so far this season will send temperatures plummeting starting Saturday. Lows in the north could sink to 13 degrees with showers expected in windward areas. The cold will be more intense on Sunday with the north expected to see highs of no more than 14 degrees. Temps will bounce back next Monday before an even stronger cold front approaches on Tuesday. Taiwan is expected to see the lowest temperatures on Thursday with 10 to 11 degrees in the north and 14 in central and southern Taiwan.